another episode of Saying the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy, hoy. And Daniel. Hey! Today, we're discussing Season 8, Episode 9, which is titled Quo Vadis. I looked it up. I looked, That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> okay. But there's, there's a question mark. So, Vadis? Quo Vadis? Vadis? Sounds like I'm a medic. I'm like Ron Burgundy? Uh, the episode aired on November 22nd, 2001. Lord knows was going on that week 22 years ago. Uh, the most important thing, it was Daniel's 12th birthday. He thinks they went and saw Harry Potter. Also, it's Thanksgiving. Legendary singer, songwriter, and guitarist for the Beatles, George Harrison, dies at the age of 58 due to lung cancer. In addition to his work with the Beatles, Harrison released 12 solo albums, including one posthumously. Posthumously. I can never say that right. I always I always want to say it posthumously. Yeah. <laughs> Let me do that one again. In addition to his work with the Beatles, Harrison released 12 solo albums, including one posthumously. I'm never going to do it. Uh, Rolling Stones magazine has named him the 11th best guitarist of all time, as well as the 65th best songwriter of all time. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I, I have a vivid, like, one of those, like, I remember exactly the the moment and like all of it like so for context my mom is a huge Beatles fan like my mom graduated high school in 1966 so like my mom came of age during Beatlemania uh and so like my mom was and is a humongous Beatles fan and so like I have a vivid memory of going into my parents bedroom uh and hearing on the radio as her uh alarm had gone off for the morning like hearing on the radio that uh george harrison had passed away and just watching her like laying in bed and just like covering her eyes and like being visibly like affected by this loss and yeah. so it's, it's one of those things that's like because like I, I like george harrison I, I i like the beatles and stuff but like i don't have any like grand emotional attachment to them and so i but for some reason that moment sticks out in my mind of like i remember this moment of her finding out that george harrison had passed away and it yeah. clearly having an effect on her my dad was a huge Beatles fan so we had them on all the time and there this is this is dorky middle school Lauren for you I was obsessed with Buffy and Angel for a while and when I found out that Alexis Denisov who was in both series was in the music video forgot my mind set on you you can bet mm. my friends and I watched that video to death Lizzie it's so bad I may have to show you but um yeah he's, so like he's arguably the most like musically talented mm-hmm. and like and like still culturally impactful beetle like Mm -hmm. you know lennon and mccartney mccartney got all the roses but like if you put them up like song for song like george harrison had like some of the best stuff from the beetle oh yeah super catchy but uh (laughs) sorry (laughs) let's just had so much fun with these uh daniel helped launch harry potter and the philosopher's stone excuse you it's the usa it's the sorcerer's stone i'm giving i'm giving franner a, a little bit of a bone here we can alternate. We did Sorcerer's Stone last week. But Daniel helped launch Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone to a monster 129490758 dollar weekend debut at the box office. I was also probably seven of those dollars. For those wondering, that's uh, $217,009,985 in 2023 money. That's like on par with like Avengers Endgame. Yep. Yeah, that tracks. This this was still a bigger deal to me than Endgame was. I'm just putting it into yeah. context, though. No, I'm saying that proportionately, yeah. 
And this is just the first movie. Like this, yeah. th- this is before I, they know it's going to be a mega monster hit. Oh, if oh, fuck J.K. Rowling and Family yep. Affair by Mary J. Blige is still the number one song. Daniel, what else was on at eight p.m.? Friends with the episode, the one with the rumor. Uh, at eight thirty, a Friends rerun, and at nine, uh, the Will and Grace two-parter, Movable Feast, parts one and two. This week's episode had 23.5 million viewers tuning in, directed by Richard Thorpe, doing his 17th out of 31. Previous one of his from this season was Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and written by the team of Joe Sachs, doing his 14th out of 35. Previous one of his was Start All Over Again, and David Zabel doing just his second out of 44, and uh, his last one was Four Corners, and we are keeping the No Ming Na Wen train rolling for at least one more week. Well, at least we can say this one was better than Four Corners. So, an improvement improvement on the writing. Um, Our previously announced brought to us this week by Cleo. And Jackie is dropping... uh, Yeah. And Jackie is at daycare dropping off Reese. And Reese drew a picture of him with uh, two houses. Hmm. Let them co-parent. Jesus Christ. Uh, (laughs) I know it's not what happens, but... Yeah, but I do just imagine Reese... uh, even at his tender age, realizing the stupidity of the argument and just going, fine, I'll draw you a picture. See, there's this, one house here, there's another one here. I want to do this. You want to see what's best for Reese? This is what's best for Reese. <laughs> Fucking idiots. And I still, don't, well, and I very, still don't want any damn fish sticks. Very well argued a court case by Reese. He just shows up in a little baby briefcase with this picture and shows it to the judge. <laughs> just signs exhibit A. <laughs> That's the real crime of this episode is that we were we were robbed of witness stand Reese with his with his oh. best suit. Uh, we get some we get some some cute Reese stuff in this, uh, this storyline, but not but not in a suit Reese. on a witness stand. I want Matlock Reese, and I want it now. Just have Jack McCoy cross uh, cross examine him though. Oh, go on, Lizzie. Anyway, Ben comes in to check on him, says he'll be back later, and Jackie is fussing around about the case again. This is all Jackie's fault. Also, uh, we sorry, are ahead, we, we are working our way, like furiously working our way towards a worst character of the season nomination for Jackie. Oh, oh, oh so we we actually had a yeah. really good talk about this when we watched the episode. Lizzie, should we touch it here or later on in the episode? Uh, you can. We can. I want to. I want to lay the groundwork now because it's gonna um, drive some of our discussion later. So we realized actually looking at the story arc again. Um, this is Jackie. Not necessarily them writing her wrong. This is her having a fucking mental breakdown. Mm. This is her, like they talk about it even later in the episode when when they're in the courtroom. They're like, you know, is she is she fit to even help? Because like, how have things been since she lost her son? Right. She's been on medication. She's been in treatment for stuff like been in a deep depression. Yeah, they clearly lay out that this erratic behavior from her. They're like, hey, uh, look back at the last season. Jackie is not all right, you guys. And yeah. looking at it through that lens of she is going through an incredibly traumatic recovery and having some really bad issues with her mental health, it mm. completely changes how I've been talking about her the last few episodes. Like, I mean, still damn Jackie, but right. it adds a little bit more flavor and context. I to still, it. and this is not really a fault of her. It's mostly just no. a, a, it's a, um, it's a function of the writing. Like, I just don't think that she's a critical or crucial enough character that they mm-hmm. would have that they would go to the time and trouble to connect those dots properly yeah 
if they had fleshed it out a little bit more, right. I think it would have been an A-plus thing and we wouldn't have had the damn Jackie misunderstanding. But the way they do it, it's one of those things where hindsight's twenty twenty. You can look back and go, oh, okay. Yeah. But we'll talk about it more in the court case later. So... With that being said, Mark is on the phone asking for Rachel's attendance record. Uh, Susan and Carter are chatting. Susan sent Gamma lilies, which is a shame because those are symbolic of funerals. Susan just cannot win with Gamma. Uh, We learn Jill is on the upswing. She ended up doing a settlement with Gamma out of court. So she got that money money for getting run over. Uh, Lizzie has been cleared to operate. And... (laughs) Frank goes, eh, when the, when the paramedics roll me in, I'll take Romano. <laughs> Good, nice, Frank. Real great. Uh, we see Luca is working on a gunshot wound when Benton comes in to join. This is the best spot in the episode to get it over with. Whose films are those? Uh, Gallant is helping out with the trauma. But Benton is rushing, shoves the case on Lizzie, and snaps at her because he's got to go be at court. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> is it here or is it later where Gallant's like, is he ever in a good mood? <laughs> yeah, I think it's here. Yep. And then we are in with some bangs. And uh, Cordae and Gallant are going over the GSW patient. Oh. Uh, he asked if Benton, yeah, he asked if Benton is ever in a good mood. Hey, look at that. Uh, the woman is an organ donor, and Luca is talking to her husband, Mr. Pruitt, who is played by. Ah, oh, boy. So, yeah, this episode is a little bit of a, oh, hey, it's that guy, Palooza. We will get into it uh, as we go along here. But this guy is the first example, Mr. Pruitt, played by actor Good Good luck. Wait, can I do it? Christ be with me. (laughs) Go ahead, Lauren. Mark Timishin. Right? Bless you. But honestly, the way I would read it is Timishin. Timishin, yeah. If I would try to. A lot of consonants in this gentleman's name. Let's put it that way. I mean, the only vowels in there are Ys. Right, which are... We'll put it that way. Which is the sometimes vowel. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Phew. Uh, but he has appeared in stuff like the Gregory Hines show, He Said, She Said, uh, and what I'm calling part of the Dunkin' Donuts cinematic universe, Boston Legal. Uh. Okay. <laughs> Just let him have it. It's totally fine by me. Um, ter- uh, unfortunately, the bullet appears to have passed to the brainstem, and she is very much brain dead. Uh, Lucas says they can wait to see if she wakes up. But Corday instantly point out, points out it's highly, highly unlikely. And she brings up the donor card. And the guy's like, yeah, I, I, I guess, if that's what you wanted. Yeah. They do they do spend an awful lot of time, like, kind of hemming and hawing about something that is otherwise pretty clear, which I know we'll get into the specifics of a little bit later. But Yeah, my question is, if it's on your donor card... Do they still need legal consent? Like, it would seem to me like that written thing that you have signed is enough to where you wouldn't it's, necessarily need next of kin. Yeah. I know that's probably not true, but in my no, world, yeah. I'm like, no, I said I was a donor. Let me be a donor. Right. Yeah. I'm sure it's one of those things that is like, it's different state by state. And, yeah. you know, because it is a relatively like innocuous process to become an organ donor. Like, there's not yeah. really a lot of... Just, they, they try to make it as easy as they possibly can because it should be easy, but... It is one of those things that I could see a, a particularly aggrieved uh, loved one like raising an issue about in a situation like this of like, well, maybe she didn't know what she was signing, like that kind of thing. Like, I feel like it could be easily challenged legally, uh, but who knows? I could be completely off base there. In any event, we go to uh, our next patient, kind of one of the through line 
patience of the episode, uh, for better or worse, uh, kind of this whole family, really. Uh, 15-year-old Rudy Escalona, who uh, lost consciousness from blunt head trauma at boxing practice. Uh, his dad is coming in with him. He's clearly disoriented, uh, and Mark asked Lizzie to check uh, on Rachel's homework tonight. So again, kind of passing off some of the work uh, with Rachel onto Lizzie. Uh, our patient here, Rudy, he is played. We got a pair of Miguel's here. Uh, patient is played by actor Miguel Castro, who appeared in stuff like uh, Holes, Crazy Beautiful, and The Shield. And the dad, our other Miguel, Miguel Perez, he appeared in stuff like Blow, Madam Secretary, and the uh, TV series Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, Luca. We then go over and see Luca talking to Carrie about Nicole getting a second chance. Wants Carrie to go to bat with HR to get Nicole her job back. Let's see how that turns out. Uh, Carrie uh, then tells Carter and Susan, uh, reminds them, uh, one doctor per patient. So no, no buddying up. Yeah. So Galanta is asking a guy named Jorge when his last hat in the shot was, and he was also boxing, and he's Rudy's older brother. He's a few stitches, but otherwise he's okay, and clearly pretty distant. Uh, with his dad this this was the oh hey it's that guy that i definitely recognized yeah there there were definitely several in this episode um this one was definitely a, a step up for me uh like this was a guy it was like he definitely made the teen disney rounds around mm-hmm. this time like he was in a lot of teen centric stuff the, that came out of the disney factory around this time uh jorge is played by actor rick gonzalez who appears in stuff like mr robot uh, Coach Carter and the movie that Jake and I have been inundated with uh, since the age of whatever year this movie came out. I think 2001, two maybe. So right around Prince the of Egypt. <laughs> right around the age of 12, 13. Uh, Remember the Titans, the which if you're unfamiliar is the movie where they solved racism with football. Uh, so and Boy, and it, it, and it took place in Virginia, which you know, being young Virginia boys like Jake and I are, uh, we saw this movie a fucking lot. Social studies class, health class, your teacher's got a hangover today. Class, we <laughs> watched days. this movie a lot. Oh, and here's my favorite. Oh, hey, it's that guy for the episode. We see Benton and his attorney going into the courthouse when. Roger's attorney pops up to talk to them, and Daniel, you want to tell us who this attorney is? I do, but I want to raise one Lauren T.M. brand bone of contention do it. Do first. It. Do it. Uh, he's actually Benton's attorney's assistant. Thank you. Not Roger's attorney, but awesome. in any event. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, Keegan-Michael Key here, who does not register a character name here because he's not important enough to remember, uh, but... His face is, uh, his hair, not so much. No. The, the le- my, like, that's one of those, like, oh, honey, just let it go. Like, yeah. oh. I had to point him out, like, three times to Lucy, and I'm like, no, I promise you that's him. It was oh, the yeah. hair that threw me yeah. off. Oh, yeah, the oh, hair. Yeah. I'm so used to seeing Keegan-Michael Key with a chrome dome. It yeah. looks, like, it the hair, dumb. the hair is, yeah. is so silly that it looks like a character he's playing. Like, it, it looks like yeah. a bit. Like, it looks like he's doing a bit for Key and Peele, uh, which, of course, yes, uh, he uh, appears in stuff like Keanu, Let's Be Cops, and the uh, the he's one half of the team of Key and Peele, uh, arguably one of the most influential, like, comedy duos of the last mm-hmm. decade. Um, he's, un, you know, kind of, unfortunately, the the less notable or less successful right of that pa- of that pair, yeah, as, as uh, Jordan Peele has really, like, gone into the stratosphere. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, he does have 121 credits to his name, and this does actually mark his first television appearance. Uh, so, and hopefully the last for his hair. Oh. Can't forget that he's also Obama's anger translator. I love that one. That's and that so they actually good. did that bit live at a watchmaker at, at the, uh, the correspondence Yeah, correspondence. <laughs> I I think the first time I became aware of Keegan Michael Key was not even Key and Peel. It was like he was in a series of commercials for I want to. It was a car brand, and I want to say it was like Kia. And it was right around the time when I was like at my heaviest into basketball, and so those commercials would play nonstop over and over and over again. This would have been like oh seven, oh eight, somewhere in there. And I feel like I saw his face like ten times a night because those commercials mm-hmm. would play over yeah. and over again. He's also one of those guys who it's like you after you know like after you know his stuff, you're like, why isn't this guy wasn't why wasn't this guy on SNL? Right? Yeah, he does like, seem I'm like glad he would have his own show with with Jordan Peele, but like. Why wasn't this guy on SNL? He's perfect, and the episodes he's hosted are perfect. Here we go into one of the strangest patient through lines we've dealt with. A woman comes in having had a potential allergic reaction. She comes in with her husband. They've been to three ERs this week trying to figure it out while they're traveling on their honeymoon. Uh, Okay, Um, (laughs) we'll, we'll get there. Uh, please tell me you guys didn't highlight that and that I'm the one who has to talk about it. But we see Chuni and Abby see Nicole come back in and they're like, oh shit. And Chuni's like, I bet she's getting fired and she has to go talk to personnel. Um, then they talk to this woman and her husband. I don't know if we even got names for these two. Yeah, but, no, I, uh, I, I wrote them down. <laughs> I wrote the woman, I wrote the wife down as ATS patient and the husband as ATS husband. Uh, we'll figure out what ATS stands for in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, they, I can't remember who it is. It might've been Carter that proposes a latex allergy to condoms potentially. And she says, oh yeah, we stopped using them two weeks ago. We're trying to get pregnant. So mm. hmm, that's the opposite of, of what they're looking at here. But Daniel, who plays the husband? Yeah, the hus- the uh, wife, unfortunately, is not really, uh, wasn't much notable on her IMDb. But the husband, he is played by actor Sam Yeager, who appears in stuff like the movie Lucky Number Slevin. Uh, Take Me Home and a recurring role on the TV series Handmaid's Tale, which I still refuse to watch because Same. reality is too frightening on its own. I started it and then reality got worse and I stopped. Um, but then Susan tells Jorge that Rudy's vitals are good and Jorge goes into the trauma to see him. I honestly, going back uh, ever so slightly to the uh, husband-wife storyline and and the wackety schmackety that is to come, uh <laughs> Uh, I, uh, I feel like the biggest shock of that entire storyline is that this episode is not written by R. Scott Gemmel. Cause usually, yes. usually when we have those like fucking like juvenile sophomoric storylines, it's like <laughs> they had sex, like those kind of storylines <laughs> that it's always R. Scott Gemmel. Oh, right. And, uh, this being a court case episode, we're going to have a lot of testifying to do. So let's start with our first audio clip here of Roger's testimony. Even before I married Carla, we discussed it. I knew it would be a challenge, but we agreed that our first priority would always be Reese. You took a variety of steps to be a good parent to him, didn't you? I learned to sign. Uh, I've always been in contact with his teachers. I've been volunteering at his school ever since he started. And you're self-employed? I run a website company out of my home office. What kind of hours do you have? completely flexible. I make my own work schedule. Have you ever needed to hire a babysitter for Reese? No. Ever needed to have someone else pick him up from school? No. So you've never passed Reese's caregiving on to anyone else? I never wanted to. 
But Dr. Benton often requires help, doesn't he? Objection. Outside his scope. Uh, Mr. McGrath has direct knowledge and can testify to what he's observed. Overruled. Peter has a long list of people who pick Reese up from school. His girlfriend, his sister, his niece. They're all involved in looking after him. And even Dr. Benton himself has asked you to help him out, hasn't he? Yeah. He asked me to get Reese. But I don't mind. I want to be with him. Did Reese ever mention to you where he prefers to sleep? Your house or Dr. Benton's? He likes my place. Why is that? He says it's his home. Isn't he just the perfect man? Can I, I need to scold something here. Like, I understand why they're going with this angle. But the whole, like, oh, and you've never needed someone else to pick him up. And Benton has a lot of support. I'm like, okay, what about single moms, you fuckers? Right, yeah. Like, they've like, never heard of the just, concept mm, of... Uh, it, yeah. Sorry, it's it's just like, as someone who was raised by a very hardworking single yeah. mom after a very difficult custody case, I was just like, mm, And mm. as if Roger would never need help ever. Right. right. Although I do, so just, I do sort of like the novelty of remote work in, you know, 2001. Yes. Like he's like, I, yeah. I work for a website on the internet. I can work whenever I feel like it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> but again, based on Roger's answers and based about what we know about how much Benton cares about him, just fucking co-parent. I right. just like, I'm going to get it tattooed we're, on my forehead. We're going to scream just co-parent. That, we're going to scream that from the rooftops until, until this storyline is over. Yeah. Which uh, we should have shortly uh, after this episode comes out. We should have a special episode from Jake Charles Esquire himself breaking down all of the legal aspects of this particular episode and the storyline as a whole. And kind of your boy did homework. Yeah, your boy did a deep dive, and I can't wait to listen to it because I think it is like I know he has major issues with this and this storyline and how it plays out, both in terms of like the believability of it and also just kind of how obtuse Benton is. Like mm-hmm. he. I'm very, very excited to hear his thoughts. I'm excited because we also get, you know, Jake's professional knowledge, but also Jake <laughs> right. doing this by himself. Right. Uh, but uh, we do get two uh, two appearances in that scene there that will uh, be with us throughout the episode. A couple of hey, it's that, guys. Uh, one we've actually seen before. Uh, the first of which, uh, the new, the new, new, uh, Roger's attorney, he is played by actor Tom Wright, who appears in stuff like Marked for Death, a couple of episodes of Seinfeld, uh, and a delightfully fuckboyish role in the charming, uh, 2002, 2002 or 2003, I can't remember, um, Barbershop. I think it's 2002, because I remember them talking about it on 302010 late last year, um, and uh, he plays a detective in that movie and is a real dickhead. Uh, but he is making his first of two appearances. Of course, he'll be with us this episode and next. Uh, and he is also our high watermark actor for the episode. 188 credits to his name. Uh, the other one in this uh, in this scene that we have seen before, uh, Judge Alter, uh, the judge uh, presiding over the case here. He is played by actor Castulo Guerra who appears in stuff like Terminator 2, Judgment Day, uh, The Usual Suspects, and The Mexican. He, uh, nothing to sneeze at here, 116 credits to his name. Uh, and, of course, just like Roger's attorney, he's making his first of two appearances. Um, but as Judge Alter, the last time we saw Mr. Guerra here, uh, he was uh, playing a different patient altogether in Season 4, Episode 20s of Past Regret and Future Fear. So... Hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Troy Evans looking at you. They only let you play one character one time. Okay, man. Whatever you say. 
Because like I was like Roger jumped off a roof in season one. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, here yeah. we are. Maybe they have a support group. Who knows? Uh, but we go from there to uh, Lizzie talking to Mr. Pruitt about the donor process. Uh, she tries to you know convince him by reminding him that there's no distinction between brain death and cardiac death and that machines are just keeping her organs viable not her truly alive which is an excellent distinction to try to you know make for somebody in this situation I think feel like that gets lost very easily mm-hmm. uh, but he's still very unsure about it yep and I did just do a quick Google on this and Illinois has put in place that it's called first consent. Where if you have filled out the form and you are legally registered on the like Illinois.gov website and through or through the DMV, they don't need family or next of kin consent. There it is. So nowadays, if it's on her card, she's registered. His opinion doesn't fucking matter. It's on my card. I think it's on mine. I'll double yeah, check. It I, should be on I mine. I think it's on mine. Everybody, go check your your IDs right now. <laughs> anyway. Uh... Luca and Abby are in the pharmacy closet. The exposition, excuse me, the exposition closet. The Doug Doug Ross, Carol Hathaway Memorial exposition exposition closet. closet. Uh, She asks about Nicole and we keep, we learn she's keeping the baby. And he says, Luca says it's tough to be a single mother. And Abby says, maybe she won't be. And asks if he's seen a pregnancy test. No, I trust her. She's a good person. Is she though? Right. Which is basically Abby's response. Is she though? What do you know? <laughs> um so yep, good on Abby though for like trying to make him see some sense and not let him totally just ruin his life on a lie. <sighs> but then we learn that there is some internal bleeding going on in Rudy's brain. It's a pre existing condition, it was not from the boxing. And Gallant tries reassuring Jorge that it's not his fault and this would have happened anyway. Um, And then Carter asks Abby and Susan if either of them have heard of an allergy to semen. I'm not sure why I capitalized semen in the notes, but here we go. (laughs) It's it's a country, it's semen. Lauren, shut up, you're grounded. Oh, wow. (laughs) But yeah, so uh, Carter with his wacky idea, um, I feel like... uh, House used this plot line too. At oh, one point. so did um fucking what was it show? Uh, the League, uh, which was it was done to much more cartoonishly stupid yeah, effect than this. Uh, yeah, wow. I'm I'm really bothered that I capitalized that. Um, it is a proper noun in my head, I guess, you guys. But then a kid comes in with his foot stuck in a toilet because dad didn't want to break it open. Um, because it is a Waste removal device, I believe, is what he calls it. So it's, like, fancy with a bidet and shit. And uh, Sandy is with him, has brought him in, and greets Carrie. Because they obviously, you know, had to pry the toilet out of the house to get him in. She's like, oh, hey, how are you? I love you. (laughs) Uh, And it's a blink and you miss it appearance here. Because we will not follow up on Toilet Kid at all. Like, (laughs) Toilet Boy never is to be seen again. Um but uh, it is a blink. He was flushed. <laughs> really? I get in trouble for semen, but you can say the kid was flushed? I would argue that I should just hang up on the Zoom call right now and finish the episode myself. Uh, um, I mean, okay. <laughs> okay, bye. Yeah, that was, a, that was a bad threat to make. <laughs> uh, but our kid Don't here. Don't threaten us with a good time. <laughs> toilet Boy here is played by uh, actor Angus T. Jones, who uh, appears in stuff like The Rookie, C-Spot Run, and was the half in Two and a Half Men. 
Uh, oh. Yeah, that kid. Who, that is a blink and you miss who it. Who went through a bit of, go down that rabbit hole, why don't you? Yeah. Went down oh, yeah. a bit of a bizarre flirtation with hard right-wing conservatism. Oh. Uh, oh. During the end of his time, like around the time that show was wrapping up. Uh, I think he's like since come out the other side of it now, like, and he kind of is like, yeah, that was a little embarrassing. But like in his early twenties, he went on this bizarre uh, social media uh, crusade where he was like, while the show was still on the air, was actively campaigning for telling people not to watch the show because it was like an affront to God, and like, uh, which I mean, having watched that show, he's not a hundred percent wrong. Like that show's pretty terrible. Uh, but like, well. He just went really, uh, like, hard down the Kirk Cameron road for a while. Well, I'll say this. As of uh, 2016, Jones is no longer a member of faith-based, quote, business model organizations and has expressed yeah. an interest in returning to acting. Yeah. He, and that was the other thing. He kind of was doing the, the whole, like, all acting and all Hollywood is is immoral and corrupt and, and godless and, you know, whatever. He went real crazy for a while is the point. Uh, but seems to be better now. So good for him. And then, uh, last but not least for this part, Nicole is in the ER looking for Luca, and Abby offers her some coffee. Alright, let's go to Testimony Part 2, this time it's featuring Cleo. So based on your extensive observation of Dr. Benton and Reese, how would you summarize their relationship? Peter's completely devoted to Reese. He's always focused on what's best for him. I can't imagine anyone being a better father. Thank you. Are you and Dr. Benton married? No. Living together? We've discussed it. How long have you been a couple? Almost three years. So you didn't break up in June? It wasn't exactly and then a breakup. And get back with... together again about two weeks ago? What are you tracking my love Objection, life? Objection, argumentative. Sustained. Let me ask, do you consider yourself a stable factor in Reese's life? I do. How can we be sure you two won't break up again next week or next month? For next year. Objection. Calls for prophecy. Goes to the stability of the home. Point taken, but you can answer. It's my intention to be around Peter and Reese for a long time. You occasionally babysit for Reese, don't you? Quite often. We get along well. There was an incident with a piano. Could you explain? Reese hurt himself. Under your care? I, it wasn't so my... that's the supervision Dr. Benton entrusts his son to. Objection. I looked away for two seconds. When he's I the one who should have been looking after him. Are you going to ask a question? Counselors, let's all breathe. 15 minute recess. I like to imagine that the early part of the dialogue in that where he's like, and you've been dating how long? And are, do you living together? I like to imagine that that was just the writer's notes. Like where they were like <laughs> that, he, that the writer was legitimately like writing those questions down for himself to go ask someone later of just like are are Peter and Cleo are they living together? are they married I don't know because they put no work into this relationship as a creative entity got to get it in now because they're gone next episode but yeah um you're right this is absolutely like okay we know nothing about Cleo time to do a summary before she's booted <laughs> right. Like, uh, like mostly I'm like, I don't know if she should be left alone with this child because I don't know if we actually know this woman. And also the fact that he's like, well, you, are you guys still together? Are you going to be together? How do we know this? How do you know this? It's like, okay, well, Roger doesn't have anybody. Are you going to put him on the stand and ask when he's going to get somebody? Roger's wife literally died. Yeah. Like, it, nothing's forever, gang. Isn't it true that your partner's last partner seduced him by peeling an egg? 
Like, these are things that have happened. Like, how can we trust that you're going to be able to compete with that? Oh, golly. Carry on, please. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we go back to uh, the lounge where Nicole uh, is in there with Abby and uh, asks for decaf coffee, you know, because of the baby. And uh, asks uh, if Luca told her what uh, what's going on. And uh, Abby asks if she's gotten any prenatal care yet and offers to do an ultrasound for her. Because she worked in OB. Yeah, you know. Uh, and uh, asks uh, how she knows that she's pregnant. And then uh, Nicole is visibly uncomfortable, goes to leave. And uh, Abby then uh, chooses that moment to call her out on the differing stories about her dad. Uh-oh. Which I love that she's like, no, it was my stepdad. Right. Like, my dad died when I was eight. This was my stepdad. Oh, I could see how you could make that mistake. I was referring to my other dead dad. Oh, yeah. And then just like, you know, oh, you've got a story for everything. Yeah. Says, tells her that being in a made up life will not make Luca happy. Oh, boy. But you know what will make me happy? This. Gay romance, gay romance, gay romance. Let's see, hear the beginning of Carrie and Sandy. You know, I never got a chance to thank you for the... Saving your life? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. There's no sweat. It was a crazy night. It's a pretty crazy job. I haven't met too many female firefighters. Only one in Company B. Must be pretty challenging. Nah, not really. I'm just one of the guys. Anyway, I'll see you around. Did you get a wound check? Hmm? Your hand. Oh, uh, I don't like doctors. You should let me take a look at it before you go. Maybe some other time. We are all Carrie. We are all hopeless gays. <laughs> Daniel, do you identify as a hopeless gay? Uh, hopeless, sure. You know, that is... <laughs> I'm sorry, you're the token straight. Uh, we established token the, hopeless uh, straight. Meme. Token, token we'll hopeless straight. It. I'm token hopeless bisexual. We got them all. We're good. Yeah, we're covered. We're set. Uh, But yeah, I just carry this whole episode is absolutely me trying to flirt with anybody. Like, ask Lizzie. I've got no game. And yet it worked. Because I have no idea how to operate in normal human limits. And I was just like, yeah, I like you. You want to go on a date? Yeah, you don't have to text me back. It's fine. (laughs) It's cool. And like, yet I did. Ten years later. Oh my god, yeah, no, almost eleven. Shut up. But anyway, these are these two are so cute, and I'm so happy that this is starting. Like, let's have some good news on this show, everybody. With that being said, also how rude to be like, I don't like doctors. When your it's future a, spouse it's a, it's it's a, a joke. Yeah, it's a, they're, they're being flirty. I know. Uh, but then bad news again. Rudy's stats <laughs> have dropped and Mark and Gallant run in gallantly. And he has increased pressure to his brain. Uh, Rachel calls the trauma room while Mark is working on this. And she's checking in because she's supposed to. Oh, how responsible, Rachel. We'll see. And unfortunately, Rudy has no pulse. May, does anybody else have this experience? Because it made me think of it when, you know, I see Hale on the phone with Rachel. It, presumably a, a situation that has occurred uh, probably a lot more when, when Rachel was little. But, like, Rachel calling work to talk to her dad because you know when you're a kid you have no concept that your parents actually have shit to do when they're at work you think you can just call them anytime and get them Um, i'm guilty of it right and for somebody like Hale, who's worked there for as many years as she had i bet she's taken a lot of these phone calls from little rachel and i just like it, it made me think of like 
people in my mom's office that like I had that kind of relationship with where mm-hmm. I would call these like grown ass adults with full time jobs, health insurances, mortgages, and would just be like, can I talk to my mom? Like yeah. that kind of thing. Like if you if your parent had the kind of job where you couldn't just dial directly to their desk, you had to like call a front desk or call a receptionist or call like their coworker or something to get them on the phone. I just That's when I have to call my mom. It's just such a like dynamic that like like Rachel and Hale probably had this whole history together. And yet it's completely unexplored, of course, because why would you? Or her and Jerry. Right. But just like, I just, it's those little relationships. Like I think about some of those people in my mom's workplace who are, you know, I'll never see again. I'll never talk to again. But I had this ongoing like game of phone tag with where it was like, I need to talk to my mom. So it's too funny you say that because there are people in my mom's office that, well, not office, but the school my mom works at where I've known them since they were student teachers and right. they're now, like, full staff and, like, everything. And they've known me since I was, like, eight. Right. And so it's just so weird that, like, we've kind of not grown up together. That's the wrong word. But, like, we, I've seen them grow in their careers. And they've seen me grow into a full-fledged adult. Yeah. And it's it's bizarre. But, um, yeah, that's a really good point, Daniel. I like that with, with Hale and Rachel. And I'm, I'm going to choose that headcanon now. Yeah. But let, we will find out what's going on with Rudy shortly. For now, we go over to Luca talking to Lizzie about transplant options for Mrs. Pruitt to give the husband a chance to witness her natural death. Uh, so, like, take her off the machines, wait for her to die, and then immediately, like, turn them back on again so they can get the tissues saved and moved and everything. I mean, when you when you explain how organ transplant works while the patient's heart is still beating, it's kind of fucked up. Like, it has, like, the fact that. Yeah, it's. They're it's, literally, like, they're not legal. They're not actually killing someone, but, like. They're they're harvesting your organs. Yeah. Yeah. They can't live for. Yeah. While they're but, alive. Yeah. But at the same time, but it, clinically. Right. Dead. Again, it goes yeah. it goes back to that difference between cardiac death and brain death. Like, at what point does the does the the soul of the person cease to exist? Like, is it. Is it at cardiac death or is it at brain death? You know, and I feel like a lot of people would argue that it's brain death. Like once that's once consciousness, once consciousness and perception are no longer possible, then you are at that point just a, you know, a meat sack pumping blood. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say meat slab, but meat sack also works. But explain to a spouse. Oh, Oh, sure. is going on it's it like it would scare the bejesus it's, out of us it's like that anyone. it's like that episode of gray is where uh, yang is doing it for the first time and bailey is like what the fuck you should get was doing it super super clinical with a child in the room yeah it, but anyway it, it, it's just like it, it's the kind of thing where i i would like to think that put in those same uh circumstances i would have the like ability to compartmentalize and like rationalize it but I don't know how I would react. I don't I don't think I, anyone knows how they would react until they're actually faced with those circumstances. I, I'll say this. I absolutely wouldn't, which is why Lizzie and I talk about this all the time and we have it written down because that way it doesn't have to be an emotional decision. Right. Exactly. Like like no, We've I have already it made in the writing. Decisions. Yeah. But um with that being said, Luca proposed this alternative to Mr. Pruitt before clearing it with Lizzie. Ugh. Lizzie's pissed because now she has to go talk to the the teams and coordinators and figure out like, okay, can we do it this way? What's going to happen? And at this point, Nicole shows up and asks to talk to Luca one-on-one. So everybody's a hot fucking mess. And then, oh God, I love that this is still mine to talk about. (laughs) Yes. Uh, 
Carter takes the ATS couple into a curtain room, all sneaky, sneaky. But of course, there's a body in there waiting for transport. And Carter's like, Malik, can you get this out of here? But everybody's like giggling, going, oh, no, what if what if somebody needs the room? <laughs> and we'll find out. It'll be fine. This is great. Speaking of great things, let's go back to Rudy. He's been down for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Warren, you okay? Yep, I'm great. All right. Uh, the hemorrhage damage the part of his brain that controls the heart and his breathing, so can't really come back from that. Uh, Ask if Dad and Jorge wants to want to say goodbye before they stop trying to revive him, and Jorge freaks out at the dad and tells him tells him to shut up after the dad starts like saying his goodbyes um and mark tells dad to let them know when to stop and lauren said this makes no sense this makes no sense to me because the guy's already dead they're telling him to say their goodbyes but it's like at that point shouldn't they just be done doing compressions and bagging him if they're already telling them oh, it's a lost yeah. cause yeah well again it goes back to like, it, it goes back to the original debate of you know cardiac death versus brain death functionally but, speaking this kid is is already dead but and they're they're continuing the charade but to give the dad some peace. But in that case, would wouldn't they do that for every single fucking patient that's coding like this? Um, I'm just saying yeah. I don't see how this is any different than any other. Patient I think it they I, you're right. You're, yes, you are right, and I think it is probably just a function of them, the writer of the episode, trying to make the point in this particular episode. And so, like, it, it's you know, it's a different flavor of the same you know dish. Like, it's they're they're just re, they're reillustrating the same point in a different way. Well, my dumb, pedantic ass isn't having it, and this frustrated me to no end. And I'm fine with that. I will live in my truth, but this was stupid. Go ahead. Lauren's immersion was ruined. Uh, we then go to Nicole and Luca on the Riverwalk, and, uh, which, okay, here's my question with this scene here. Uh, That's not the Riverwalk. Okay. I thought it was. I, no, that's, a gr- that's absolutely it. You know, oh, either, the green Thank green you. Yeah, okay, that part, yes. Thank you. They're, they they're, are not outside for that. They shot, are doing yes. the green screen business all over again, which we talked about last week. I thought I saw the halo. We, we talked about that last week, and I was like, okay. I, I, I was like, yeah, we're starting to dip our toe into this a little bit more. I didn't realize we were going to start doing it immediately the next week. And have it look this bad. Right. Like, it does not look good at all. Uh, but, yeah, Nicole and Luca are out on the air quotes Riverwalk, and he tells her uh, that she maybe shouldn't work for a while, you know, because of the whole, you know, totally real baby thing. And uh, she tells him that she thinks she found a job in Montreal uh, because, you know, there's only two places on the planet French people can live. It's, you know, Montreal and France. I don't make the rules. Uh, Occasionally New Orleans until they're required by court order to leave. Um, She says. But they leave their food because it's good. Yes. Uh, Luca, sweet idiot Luca, uh, does is not picking up what Nicole is putting down here and is like, I can't move to Montreal. Uh, and she finally is like, okay, clearly he's, he's very pretty, but he's very stupid. Uh, and is like, you talked yourself into loving me. This isn't real. She tells him the truth that she's not pregnant. And I wish I could say this was the complete end of this, but she will be making one more appearance next episode. So we're almost through the Nicole nightmare. It's almost done gang. Uh, but this, uh, this storyline is even more pointless than I remembered it. Like this storyline rivals some of the like litany of carter blondes for like most pointless detour in a care remember to get your votes in for a worse storyline 
she might sweep like she might take worst character and worst storyline at the end of the well i guess we don't do worst or, uh, season, we do we do series, best we, i guess we do best storyline so she's not going to get both I'm, of those i'm gonna say this i don't hate it as much as everybody else does it's again it, it, it uh, what, what was uh what was her name roxanne she she almost now this one i will say i dislike the character a little bit more than i did roxanne roxanne was like it was complete indifference. Like it was just like, yeah. what is the point? Of, was harmless. What was the point of this character? But she didn't even rise to the level of dislike. But it's a, it's a similar type thing here. It's like I don't understand why we did this. Nothing's going to be different by the time it's over with. I just don't understand. This doesn't push Luca and Abby any closer. It really doesn't. Abby still has her long detour with Carter, or, or even any further apart. Like it really it serves them in no way at all. I don't know. Uh, but in any event, we go to Gallant working on some sutures. Uh, the older gentleman he's working with complains of hearing banging noises in the background. Mm. And mm. Carter, uh, doing his best, like, making it pulling a face, uh, lies and says that it's the pipes. And uh, Susan calls him out on it. And, oh, aren't, isn't this schmackety so wackety? I think it's silly. I I I I found this one really funny actually. Yeah. But yes, it is incredibly wackety schmackety. Right. Uh let's go over back over to Mark. How he got the last back on Rudy and it turns out he had a drug called ephedra in his system, which is a natural performance enhancer that can raise your blood pressure. Tell Daniel you were sh- I was like Daniel you're shaking your head. Tell us. Tell me that this episode was written in 2001 without telling me that this episode was written in 2001. Like ephedra was all the uh panic rage at around this time um for good reason i mean it was legitimately dangerous and it was legitimately too easy to obtain this was stuff that you could get 100 percent over the counter at like gnc and i would say that it wouldn't be for probably until the following year 2002 when it really hit like peak um panic over it because a major league baseball player died um I don't remember if he was – he certainly wasn't a star, but, like, I don't even remember if he had actually, like, made his major league debut yet or if he was just, like, a high-level minor leaguer. But he was a pitcher for the Orioles, um, and he collapsed during a spring training workout um, and died of heat stroke. And they um, they determined that he had been taking ephedra, like, regularly to boost his workouts. And so it was it was just something that was like in the national conversation around this time. And so it's just funny to see it like worm its way into this episode because it it was regulated very soon afterwards. Like once that player died, like it was it was, uh, you know, like turned into a, a scheduled uh, substance and like it was taken off the shelves. And like it's it's much, much tighter regulated now than it was at this time when it basically was unregulated so it's just kind of a funny little time capsule that this is the thing that they're choosing to uh choosing to talk up but rudy took it to try and beat jorge to please to please his dad and jorge gets very very angry about it and punches a hole in the wall and breaks his hand yep because it sounds like dad really really wanted these kids to be good boxers to kind of you know finish the dream he couldn't have and we learn a little bit more about that later but basically dad's been pushing them both real hard and he didn't realize it but then jackie shows up at the courthouse to check on benton oh god here we go uh, i said she better since this is all her fault but roger walks out of the room and jackie goes to yell at him and says get your own family and like 
it may not have been going like great for Benton up until now, but I feel like it go it, like it's really not going well at this point. Like yeah. she has fully taken this train off the track uh, off the track. Yeah. Oh, and then oh god, Carter goes to check on his uh what what were we calling ATS. Thank you. ATS patients and oh god, I love this. Susan is sitting in the next room. Uh, very clearly listening with her charts in front of her. And she's like, no, I was catching up on my charts. Like, gross, no. And he calls her out on it. And all of a sudden, the noises stop. And they both kind of look up worried. And uh, Mark goes, what's going on in there? And Susan's like, ask Carter. This is one of those behind-the-scenes deals where, like, I really desperately want to know, was it just a sound effects library that they were playing? Or were there really just two people trapped in that room like just clanging on pots and stuff and like making sex noises. I, I, I would love to know from someone who worked on this episode, please tell me I ha- I just, I'm picturing like, you know, two production assistants just trapped in this room with a couple of pots and pans and like having to make sex noises. Or maybe even just the actors too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just them to too. Voices. Yeah. But it's just, it's just a very, very funny visual. Anyway. But Mark tells Jorge he broke his fifth metacarpal, uh, and he's going to be in a cast for six weeks. Lauren knows all about broken hands. Broken metacarpal, specifically. Is that the bone, like, up? That's in here. That's, like, the higher up in the hand? Yeah, that's these. These are your metacarpals. So would the impact of the wall, like, just, like, cause... Sh- shattered. Cause too much pressure yeah. in the... Yeah. It just doesn't the Yeah, they call it a bo- they call so it a boxer's fracture because it is the meth the uh, mechanism of injury can only be accomplished if you are uh, have a closed fist. Like if gotcha. he if he had hit the wall with a open hand and it had broken his it would not have broken in the same way that it did when he punched it with his yeah, closed fist. They think they think with mine when the airbag hit my hand that that's it hit it at a weird angle and that's why these kind of spiral fractured gotcha was because of how it hit so yeah you can break them in like a million different ways it's right. crazy yeah the human they're tiny little up. bones there's a joke there i'm not gonna make uh jorge asks galant if uh, his dad knows about the broken hand yet and we learned that the dad grew up in cuba uh when he tried we tried to leave and they broke his hands before he left so he couldn't make a living with his chosen profession elsewhere. Oofta. Yeah. I haven't heard Oofta in a while. I yeah. love that one. Gallant tells him to talk to his dad. Oh, and then we check on ATS couple, and we learn the husband couldn't finish, which is which is weird for them, but it's been happening more lately. And they Carter mentions that a new semen allergy could be from an excessive amount of partners. Like, And he goes, oh, you know, maybe over 10. And husband was like, what? I thought I was only your second. What about so-and-so? And they just kind of awkwardly, like, run out of the room because they're getting dressed. Bro. Trouble in sandbox. And if you're not keeping score at home yet, I just want to clear it up before we get it in the comments. ATS is uh, allergic to semen. That was <laughs> because they never gave him a name. So I just... Uh went with that uh we then go to our next patient a 16 year old male fell from a lamp post and a cop comes in to cuff him because the kids were stealing street signs and oh no it's rachel's fuck boyfriend andrew uh from so many moons ago who came to pick her up for school 
and then uh, we go out to the ambulance bay, and uh, a wild, teenage, angsty Rachel appears in the back of a cop car. Uh, we've officially reached uh, not quite the apex, but we're we're heading towards the top of the mountain of uh, the scumbag Rachel era. So can't wait. Uh, we then see Sandy coming back in for a wound check with Carrie. Um, I believe this is our last, yeah, this is our last of the courtroom drama for this episode, at least on audio form. Let's listen to Benton's testimony. What happens when you're on call? We work 12-hour shifts. 7 a.m. to 7 p.m.? Half the time. And the other half you work overnight? There's always a surgeon in-house. So you cover weekends too? Sometimes. Looking at your schedule, it appears that over half your shifts are weekends or overnights. Well, I'd have to check. Take me through what happens when a gunshot victim enters the ER. Well, I evaluate the patient and I take them to the OR if necessary. Gunshot to the chest. How long of an operation is that? Well, that depends. On what? The path of the bullet, extent of vascular damage, if bypass is necessary for cardiac repair. So it could take over an hour? I'd say three hours was a reasonable estimate. Sometimes longer? Five hours? Sometimes. So if a patient comes in at 6.30 p.m., who takes over for you at 7 when you go home to Reese? Well, I try to get someone to cover for me. And if you can't? Then I stay with the patient. If an operation takes five hours, you'll be there until midnight? That's a rare situation. But it happens. It's possible. So when you're tied up in surgery all night, who's looking after Reese? Well, I have the support of family and friends. Like Dr. Finch, for example? Yes. Cleo is very good with Reese. Yes, we've already covered that. Who else helps you out? My sister Jackie picks him up from school if I have to work. And makes him dinner? Sometimes. And puts him to bed while you're working the night shift? That's right. Is she always available? Jackie's become like a mother to Reese these last few months. But initially, after Carla died, Jackie wasn't so receptive to the idea of caring for Reese, was she? It was a tough time. She has her own children, doesn't she? Joni, her daughter. Wasn't there a boy? Yeah, uh, Jesse, my nephew. He died last year. The death was gang-related, right? Objection. He can answer the question. Yes. How is your sister handling that loss? You know, I'm sorry. I don't, uh... I don't see how this pertains to my fitness as a father. Your Honor, this is far afield. Goes to the stability of the person he's identified as primary caregiver. I'll give some latitude. Is Jackie under the care of a psychiatrist? I don't know. For situational depression and pathologic grieving? She lost her son. Is she currently being managed by medication? This has nothing to do with Reese or my ability to care for Whose her. side effects include insomnia, sedation, and anxiety? Gentlemen, why don't you ask me what kind of father I am? Why don't you ask me about how I was there when he was born, prematurely, how I stayed in the hospital, in the NICU, watching over him, making tough decisions, and praying over him day and night. Why don't you ask me that? Your Honor, a moment with my client. Dr. Benton. Your Honor, there's no question before the court. No, why don't you ask me about Reese so I can tell you that there's nothing more important to me in this world than my son. Why don't you ask me that? Yeah, once we got this part of, like, the cross-examination with, you know, um, Jackie's kind of issues, this was where I was like, Oh. Hmm. It's where the light bulbs mm. turned on Because it's like, yeah, we haven't really, like, done a lot of Jackie and Benton stuff aside from the, I don't want to see Reese, and then suddenly she's back seeing mm-hmm. Reese. We haven't really 
seen her journey as much as we would have if she was a main ensemble character. So I was like, okay, this makes sense that this could have been going on in the background and that's why she's getting like yeah. this. Yeah. It's not great, right. but it at least it at least made it a little bit more than the writers just did this out of left field. They tried to put some context. Yeah. Also, that final thing from Benton there, holy shit, yeah. Eric LaSalle. Yeah, Eric LaSalle's on fire in this put, scene. Put that on the highlight reel right there for uh, Peter Benton, the character. I'm just going to say this. I know we're going to talk about it more during the wrap-up, but I'm not ready for Benton to go. Yeah, I mean, like... Yeah, it feels too soon somehow. Yeah, well, it, it's, it, you know, Benton... I've, I've always said this, that, like, Benton's departure in Season 8 is the more emotional one for me like i get more i'm more upset at him leaving because yes i do feel like they leave the story in a good place like i feel like i feel like you 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 get everything you want out of the story and the character leaves in a good place but there is a little bit of an element of like it feels like there should be more like it feels like there should be a it feels a little bit like you're leaving something to still be explored and I don't know that I can say that with Mark when we get to the end of the season, or or I could have said that with some of the other characters that have departed over the years, like and so it's just we, we will certainly get into it, you know, obviously next next episode, really. I mean, that's that's when he's gone at the end of next episode. <laughs> Spoilers for the character retrospective that won't be coming for at least another five episodes when he comes back for his little little cameo appearance. Uh, but yeah, it just feels weird that we're like already going to be at that point. Like that's a, it feels like a big, big milestone. I'm not ready. I'm just, I'm just not ready. Cause then Reese is gone too. And mm. I'm not ready. Until he's like a little grown, grown man, Reese. Little young boy, Reese. Oh, but then Benton's attorney steps in afterwards and says, Benton needs to shut up with the outburst. She also points out your hours are hurting us. You need to start setting priorities and making some hard choices. And this kind of reminds me of back, like, early Benton, mm. when Reese was first born. Kind of how he had this come-to-Jesus moment, and this is, like, wave two of right. it. Like, okay, you've gotten better about it, but you've still kind of been trying to have your cake and eat it, too. This is where it's really going to come into clutch, and you're really going to have to make the choice. And this is probably where I feel like maybe Jake had the most relatable moment of the episode, where <laughs> I'm sure Jake has had many a client where he's wanted to be like, my dude, would you just shut the fuck up? Like you are, you are your own worst enemy here. Just please stop talking. Hundred um, percent. But then, Mark and Rachel have a chat in the lounge, and Mark scolds the hell out of her. Asks if Andrew does drugs, and shows his talk screen, being like, "Yeah, look, your bud, your buddy's tested positive. Are you for huh? marijuana?" Huh? And and Rachel's like, isn't aren't you not supposed to show me that? Right. I like how Ra- Rachel's wrong. better versed in HIPAA than Mark is. Yep. Uh, we know Mark doesn't have a problem with HIPAA anyway, but uh, burr, burr, burr. He's, he's like, he's like, Rachel, did you smoke with him? Are you on the drugs? And it's reefer madness, reefer madness. But then he tells her that she has to take a test. Right and now. there it is. The reason that I never did drugs in high school. Well, I mean, I probably was too much of a pussy anyway, but, uh, I, Attaboy. I <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, but, uh, my parents both worked in the medical field, specifically in laboratories. And while I was never explicitly threatened with drug tests, it was always, you it knew. was always kind of a like unspoken thing that it was like, we can drug test you anytime we want. We have ways. Yeah. Like I, 
We have right. the technology. I, like, put it this way. Until I moved away from home at the age of, I mean, well, I moved moved out of my hometown at the age of 26, I got every flu shot in my life at my kitchen table. So, like, they, they, had, <laughs> they had the technology. They could have drug tested me if they wanted to. I, I was almost too much of a pussy, Daniel, and, like, after I'd smoked weed for the first or maybe second time in my life, my mom loves to tell the story of how I fucking told her and my stepdad <laughs> about it. So, uh, granted, okay, quick, quick story time. This was right after my car accident. Uh, I was in the ER. My stepdad was there right as the doctor was asking me if I had done any drugs before they gave me new meds, and I was like, oh, I smoked some weed. And my stepdad was like, oh, really? Then they gave me the morphine and he was like, good, she needs painkillers. But then he was like, on our drive home, he was like, do you have something you need to tell your mom? I was like, I smoked weed (laughs) with Nick and Josh. And she was like, all right. I didn't get in trouble for it at all. She was just like, okay, you're an idiot. Don't do that again. And she knew that I wouldn't because I'm me. I did. But the um, after school special ensued. Yep, hundred percent. I got in a car accident because I smoked. I didn't. Weed. I didn't smoke. It was, it was Jesus. I didn't smoke weed me. for the first time until 2018, and it was with my dad. So, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I yeah. 2007 I, with my friend Casey. Ah, uh, probably roughly around the same time, 2007, 2008 for me. I feel like I feel like Matt was also there. I love Matt, but anyway, <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Matt. Um, but yeah, so we're all a bunch of dweebs. Um, and with that being said, Daniel, what happens next? Oh boy. Uh, Abby asks Gallant if Rudy's family has picked a mortuary yet and sends him over to Frank for help, which seems like the worst person to send him to for anything like that. Uh, Luca then, uh, lets Abby know about Nicole leaving. Uh, and then, uh, ATS wife comes back with a severe reaction. Uh, they got down in the pickup truck out in the ambulance bay, uh, oh. and immediately came back in Oh, uh, and seemed like really excited in. about it. Cause like now they can, you know, confirm it. Oh, come on people. No one. I missed what you said. Sorry, I said, wait. I said, uh, came back in. Ah, there it is. There it is. And Lauren's gone. Mark it down in your sorry calendars, for... folks. Lauren has ripped the headphones off. I'm sorry for the chair noises. They, Daniel could have edited those out. You Who knows? Know. We don't need to know. Oh, gross. I mean, good for them, I guess, but... It's nice to have an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gallant's talking to Rudy's dad about a funeral home and sees Jorge holding Rudy's hand in the trauma room. Then Gallant tries, tries to bridge the gap between the two of them, and dad goes in and they reconcile over Rudy's body. Oh, but then Lizzie updates Benton on Mrs. Pruitt's donor protocol. Uh, she says Michigan weird. She says she says like Michigan almost. Yeah. And I'm just like, mm, fucking, no, fucking British people that well that and it's like if you've never heard the word before, that That's might fair. be how you say it. It's kind of like Mackinac. Jen Turp is going to kill me. <laughs> Mackinac Island. Goddamn rapids. Just all of it. Um, <laughs> I love my state. Some people don't know Kalamazoo is a real place. But uh, Benton, needs, Benton asks why he needs to get further consent when the guy has already signed off. And Lizzie's like, just talk to him about it. Just make him feel better. Benton's like, oh, fine. <laughs> Runs off to go talk to the guy. I've spent more time in Kalamazoo than I ever thought I would. Thanks, Amtrak. Yep. Uh, let's go to our next audio clip. Uh, more gayness. Uh, Carrie <laughs> doing Sandy's wound check. 
You're supposed to be on light duty. I was moving some gear. Yeah, you went on a run. <laughs> I get a little stir crazy. Okay. Looks pretty good in a sign of infection. That's it? No, you need a new bandage. So, is uh, Captain Devlin still at the at Seven Pod? I know that name. Yeah, those guys used to hang out at a place called uh, Moose and Squirrel. <laughs> yeah, every Friday night. Oh, it was a fun place. Uh, you should have someone remove the stitches in four days. I know where to find you. Listen, Sandy. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I bunched it up. That's all right. What were you saying? Do you want to do something? Excuse me? Uh, sometime, you know, something. Something? Uh, I don't know, lunch or a movie or ice fishing. <laughs> like go out? Yeah. I mean, unless I'm totally uh, off base here. No. No, you're on base. Damn straight she's on base. No, that she'll get to bases later. <laughs> anyway, I, I love. Do 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 you want to go do something do, somewhere? Do stuff. Something, ice fishing. Like, when when I'm in person talking to someone, this is exactly how much game I have. Oh, uh, I can confirm. It's I'm not I'm not very smooth. It's a miracle there, Lizzie and I ended up together. There's a, <laughs> there's a reason why I predom I predominantly start with online dating. Or wasted. That's true. Wasted I'm much more verbose and much less anxious. No, I, I have no game. It's the reason Lizzie's the only person I've ever dated. <laughs> She's the only one stupid enough. Hey. I resemble that remark. Yep, I love you. Uh, but yeah, just please, more of this. Can't wait for the good stuff of it. Yes. And then the bad stuff. Oh, but mostly the good no, stuff. No, that's the bad stuff can go die in a fire. I hate that story. Well, oh, interesting choice of words. <clears throat> ah, ah. Lizzie, what's the next audio clip? Uh, Mark and Rachel are talking about Rachel's drug tests. Reefer Madness. How's it going? Fine. Your drug screen came back. Everything was negative. Don't look so disappointed. I know you're upset. I had to do this because I want you to be safe. I care more about that than about you being angry with me. I want to be able to trust you. It's something we both have to work at. Can I go now? Oh, he tries. God knows he tries. <laughs> but again, Mark and, Mark and Rachel should just be in therapy together anyway. Like, she clearly needs it. See, watch listening to this clip after I watched an episode of Law & Order today where she literally got away with murder at 10 years old. The, act, the actress well, played, a, played a kid who got away with murder. You know, not all of us are so talented. Right. I know. Multifaceted. Gets away with so, murder, does a, a little bit of weed, dabbles in ecstasy, now lives in a yurt and sells donuts. She's multifaceted. Oh, I, I don't even know what a yurt is. I'm gonna it's look like that a up. fancy tent. Yeah, it's it, it's a slightly nicer tent. 
Yes. Uh, well, Daniel, I'm so sorry for the language I used on the next part of the notes. <laughs> Why would anyone live in one? Oh, uh, there it is. Nature. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Pruitt's organ harvest is where we go next, which just sounds like the worst, like... <laughs> Metal band? <laughs> just, ugh. Uh, I'm sorry. Mr. Pruitt is watching outside the glass. Which, again, why? Well, you know. Just no. She's already dead. Speaking of dead people, let's go check in on Carter and Susan on the roof, shall we? You shut your mouth. Shut your whore mouth, Daniel. They're sweet. I hope they get pregnant. Shouldn't be a problem. The endocrinologist can wash the sperm, and then it's safe to artificially inseminate. Hmm. That's a new one. Just goes to teach you never to doubt my diagnoses. Yeah, no matter how loony they are. I can't believe they did it in the back of a pickup truck. They had a camper show. How do you know? I saw that. You did? Yeah, it's in the front of the hospital. It's their honeymoon suite. Very weird. Not so weird. Ferris wheel, that's weird. Really? Uh, (laughs) I was young. It was my first real boyfriend. Where else? Your turn. Camping, where else? In a tent. That's the best you can do. Uh, I'm a train to Seattle. Really? With him? I was by myself. But it was memorable. (laughs) It's cold. Yeah, we should probably go in. Yeah. You don't have any allergies I should know about, do you? Oops. <laughs> Where were we? I love this. They're like awkward teenagers, and I'm here for it, and it's cute, and Daniel, shut your mouth. Don't make that face at me. And it's, I am here for it. Uh, no. I mean, I'm here for it, too. They're adorable. Fuck you, Daniel. The only, the only part of this I will uh, redeem, or as Lizzie so eloquently put it a, mo- a moment ago, saving a fire. Um, the only part of it is the, uh, do you have any allergies I should know about line? That's the only part. That, that I did get a chuckle out of train to Seattle, but I was by myself. Oh yeah, well yeah, that part is good too. But I don't consider that part of the uh, yeah part of the the interplay between these two, if, yes. if you can call it that. It's really just two inanimate corpses just kind of flailing at each other it's it's okay to be wrong daniel i think if you i think if you read the listener responses you will see that i am not in the minority on this that's fine uh well we lots of people are wrongs about lots of people are wrong about lots of things we wrap up the episode with uh waiting for mrs pruitt to die which sounds like the worst sequel i could imagine to mrs pruitt's organ harvest which just jesus christ uh (laughs) Turns out, oh no, she's breathing on her own. And uh, Romano comes in for his like token appearance this episode and is like, I ordered liver an hour ago and I haven't seen the waitress since, which is just, he is on fire the last couple of episodes. Love this man. Enter. Uh, and then he's like, page me when she goes. And uh, which the husband is right outside the door for, by the way. Don't love that. Uh, and when faced with the choice from Shirley, Benton is like, let's just wait it out. And so it's, it is, it is certainly a way to end this episode. (laughs) Like it's, 
overall, I mean, it's it, like obviously, I feel like the courtroom stuff is a big, big linchpin of whether or not you enjoy this episode. Mm-hmm. Like the the if you if you really dig the courtroom drama stuff, I feel like you enjoy this episode a lot more than if you don't. Right. So, but overall, I would uh, say very solid. Yeah, yeah, I'd give it a seven and a half out of ten. I give it an eight. I'm more generous than Lauren. Obviously, yep. it's um. On paper, it's a very, like, outside of the courtroom stuff, on paper, it's, it, like, it feels like an early season episode in the sense of, like, we are just, like, doing hard left and right turns between, like, the dumbest fucking storyline imaginable and, like, um, something very serious and poignant and, like, and yet they somehow manage to, like, round off the edges to, like, make it not unpalatable, so, okay, I'll give him credit for that, I guess, like an extra point for that. So, you know, very solid. But what the listeners have to say about it and how angry they're gonna, are they uh, going to be at us? I, I already, I read Franner's comment ahead and I'm so excited for this one. Franner W says, I forgot just how little chemistry there is between Carter and Lewis. When he kisses her on the rooftop, that shit needs a defibrillator to get it going. It does not make my Robin, or I'm sure anyone else's Robin, Twitter, Franner, that is still one of my favorite fucking phrases. It's the stiffest, driest moment ever, and it makes me mad. Irrational? Probably, but I don't care. At MTM says, The custody battle is just sad. If it weren't for Jackie, Reese could have had two loving fathers. The whole Nicole storyline, on the other hand, is excruciating. In Nicole's defense, sort of, she is probably very messed up, but it's still just awful. Abby is trying to protect Luca, or she's jealous, or probably both, and there is so much chemistry between them. No wonder the writers decided to make Luca and Abby endgame. After lengthy detours with Carter and Sam, not to mention repeatedly putting them through the ringer in seasons 13 through 15. Talking of chemistry, there is exactly zero romantic chemistry between Susan and Carter. Their relationship never made any sense to me at all, and it doesn't seem like it made any sense to the actors either. I think Susan and Carter are great as friends, but as a couple, they simply don't work. As a romantic partner, Carter only ever sort of worked with Kem, but I also, but I always found Kem so annoying that I never really liked their relationship either. God, everybody's here with the spicy takes tonight. Also, Carrie has great taste in women. Uh, let's see what Aaron has I to would, say. I would also like to point out, too, that I, you might think that I cherry-picked these. These were literally all the responses we got about I know, this episode. I know, I know. So they are I trust, all I, unanimous in their assessment that this I, shit sucks. I trust your judgment and your integrity, Daniel. But I don't. That, And last but not least, let's see what Aaron has to say at the full-time dad. I'm getting a lump in my throat thinking about an ER without Reese. He's the sweetest little cherub, and it sucks that he's pitted between Roger and Peter like this. For the record, I can't stand new Roger. And his attorney plays a character on the movie Barbershop that I just wanted to punch, so fuck him too. I wish Peter had a better attorney. She takes so many L's on law and order, and perhaps the best legal advice she's given in her career was telling Ashley Judd that she could get away with killing her husband after being wrongly convicted of his death. It's kind of crazy to see Peter come full circle as a character. Here he is, ready to give up his career for his son. When you think of where he was in seasons one through three, and even in Reese's first year, and where he is now, it's incredible. Personally, outside outside of Doug and Pratt... No character has a stronger growth arc than Peter. Uh, Daniel and I are nodding our heads emphatically at this. Well, I would I would also uh, uh, emphatically argue for one Archie Morris, Archie Tiberius yes. Morris. Oh, 100%. 
Um, but the rest of this episode is pretty forgettable, as are Susan and Carter as a romantic pairing. I've seen corpses with more romantic chemistry. Uh, listeners, I'm sorry, but how does it feel for all of you to be wrong? I love you all. Lizzie, do you want to take us out? Um, I'm not going to do a plug oh. thing again this episode. I, I know I said I'd stop doing this, but yeah. one last time, I, I swear, um, my grandma, who was 99 years old, unfortunately did pass away yesterday uh it was peaceful and everything went according to her wishes everything got sorted out and she went she went on the way that she had pre that she had previously stated that she wanted to so it's all you can ask for um so yeah I just listen, like to, listen to your loved ones yeah R listen to your loved ones r.i.p nan yeah elma francis blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> so she was french yeah, Yes. <laughs> uh, but yes. Yeah. So everybody send Lizzie and her family some thoughts. It'll be a couple weeks after this has happened by the time you're hearing this. But So if I seemed a little more detached, just because I've been pretty depressed today. Yep. But we will get there. It's all part of the grieving process. We love you all, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.